Hi, you're listening to The Wing Woman, a podcast brought to you by journalists and best mates, Frankie Graddon, that's her, and Charlie Gowns Eglinton, that's me. We've been off on a Christmas break slash Frankie's been having a baby. Franks. Sure have. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good. I'm going to try not to be too squealy because I'm really excited that we're back. I'm really excited that we're back. I'm also mainly excited that I'm in the front room, doors closed. I've told Ben he can't come into this room for the next hour with the baby. Fantastic. What are you drinking? I've got a glass of wine. Finally, a glass of wine on the podcast. Thank God. It's been so long. I'm so sorry that everyone had to endure my soft drink recommendations. (laughs) And have you tried squeezing lemon in your water? (laughs) Have you tried two ice cubes instead of just one? Oh my God. (laughs) What are you drinking today? So today I'm drinking Sainsbury's Finest Barbera. Lovely. Yeah, it's like $7.99 a bottle. So it's the reasonable and it's delicious. It's a red, obviously, smooth, bit fruity. It's yummy. I love it. I am on the second bottle of... um, This afternoon. Of this afternoon. (laughs) Exactly. Of the shop, which came last week. Lovely. Yeah, that makes me sound like a binge drinking mother. I'm not. Promise. What have you got? Well, I am opening Le Petit Mis. It's got a really chic label of some tables because it is a table wine from France. Oh. I got it on Shop Cuvée. You love that place. It is very chic, that place. Oh, good sound. Oh, and it had wax over the cork, which makes it good. It looks glorious. It smells glorious. Cheers, Franks. Cheers. Ding. Thank you. Ooh. Oh my God, so yum. It's almost a bit fizzy. Evervescent. I love that. I love that. Love an evervescent wine. So, motherhood, eh? I know. Where do I even begin with this? So much to catch everyone up on. I've got a baby. Can you believe he's nearly 10 weeks old? I cannot. Can you actually believe that? He's already in size two nappies. Aww, Alfie. He's my godson, should anybody He is your godson. Little poppet. He's a delight. I couldn't be more tired if I tried. I'm sorry, you're seeing my. I have got makeup on. You look great. I was just going to say you look great. Yeah. If any mother to be is listening, my top beauty tip get your eyebrows tinted and shaped. Because as we all know, the secret to a good face is good eyebrows. You don't have time to do makeup when you've got a baby, you just don't. So if your eyebrows are already sorted, you're kind of halfway there. Okay. So, right, labour in a pandemic. Yes. Shall I start at the beginning? Go. So I wrote The Last Wing Woman when I was already in labour. I felt my first few contractions and thought, oh, shit, I better knock out a column. Don't leave everyone high and dry. And then naively thought, fantastic, the baby's going to come today. It was a Thursday, one day after his due date. Three days later, we're still contracting. Who knew labour could last for so long? I mean, I just didn't know what to do with myself. There were moments when I just, was I going to be able to go on? I didn't know. I had to get in the bath with water and just lie there. Sleeping whilst contracting is 
difficult. I hope no one else has to ever do that. Terrible. Walked up and down stairs a lot. That helps quicken the contractions. Walked around the block. People were very surprised, I think, to see such a heavily pregnant contracting woman walking around the block. But the problem was... <laughs> Did they was... spot that you were contracting, though? You sort of just convulsed <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Just leaning on gateposts going... Because <laughs> the problem is, unless your contractions are incredibly close together, the hospitals don't want you. You don't want to go early into hospital anyway because hospitals aren't nice places to hang around in at the best of times. But especially during a pandemic, you want to limit your time in hospital. Though I have to say, Homerton Hospital felt as safe as houses. Lots of mask wearing and hand sanitising and all the pregnant women are kept together and pretty much no one else is allowed near them. So you feel very safe. But yeah, you kind of don't want to spend too much time at hospital. So you have to do an awful lot of it at home. And... My bit that I had to at home just ended up being incredibly long. But also you got admitted, didn't you, and then sent home again? Yeah, so this is really common because you are contracting and thinking, hang on a minute, surely I need to go into hospital. Because when you watch films with people giving birth, they start contracting and then, you know, it's like a mad dash to get to hospital. Need we remind everybody of the scene in Bridget Jones' I'm Having a Baby... That's not the title of the film. Can't remember what it is. It's third Bridget Jones. And they're in that mad taxi journey across London, zigzagging across London, past every London landmark to get her to UCLH to have her baby. To be fair, they shouldn't have gone via first Albert Bridge (laughs) and then Fulham Bridge and then through Hyde. I mean, if somebody took you on that taxi journey, they are trying to rob you blind. So you think this all happens really quickly, but it doesn't. The first stage of labour can be incredibly long so I went to hospital thinking surely this must be it this was at this point after two days of contracting surely I must be dilated enough to be admitted and I wasn't so I had to come all the way back again and I can tell you contracting in an uber is probably up there with one of the worst things you could ever do so then I had to go back the next day Oh, it was awful. (laughs) It was so (laughs) horrible. And then I got admitted and the lovely midwife was telling me I was progressing really well. She was like, as soon as your water breaks, this baby is going to fly out. Did my waters break? No. Hours were going by. I was squatting, doing lunges, trying to get these waters to break. They would not. I had to have them broken by her. They use a hook gross probably shouldn't say that but you know what that's what they do they broke my waters that was meant to bring on everything and make everything move a little bit faster it had the opposite effect on me which several medical experts who came into the room said that they'd never (laughs) seen that happen my contractions were meant to quicken and intensify they in fact disappeared several more hours went by it got to about half past one in the morning They were worried that the cord was wrapped around Alfie's neck, which is totally terrifying when someone tells you that, but delivered by the doctor in such a calm way. Oh, we think the cord is wrapped around your baby's neck. Bloody hell, is he going to strangle himself? I mean, I guess they can't deliver it with any degree of panic because that would be counterproductive. But that was one of the most terrifying moments And then they give you the option. Do you want to have a cesarean? Or do you want to have a drip 
that will help bring on the contractions even more. We did NCT, me and Ben, so we were coached to ask all of the questions. What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the risks? What are the benefits? So by that point, I was delirious. Ben, bless him, had to ask all of these questions. The questions are answered. We were none the wiser. I don't know what to do in this situation. I've never had to get a baby out of my body. Do I have a cesarean? Do we risk it and use the hormone drug? Don't know. But it is perhaps one of the most important decisions that you're ever going to make. And you haven't slept in three days. It's boiling hot in the delivery room. We were wearing masks, which was comically horrendous. Having spoken to a lot of women who have given birth around the same time that I did, no one else had to wear a mask. So I don't know if the midwife was just playing a bit of a practical joke on me, but it was so clammy to say the least. Anyway, decided to have a cesarean. Well, decided. It wasn't much of a decision to make. Had a cesarean and he popped out. So does that mean you didn't have a poo? Didn't poo. Because that's one of the things that interests me about labour. Like how common is the pooing? Obviously that's very natural. It's very natural. I'm just interested, you know? It's incredibly common. Hmm. Pretty much everyone poos. And actually I was listening to a podcast a few years ago that was all about birthing stories. It was hosted by a midwife. And she was saying that midwives get very excited when you poo because that means the baby's about to come. Mm. And I can't remember if I've told you this on a podcast before I had Alfie, but one of the benefits of the baby coming out vaginally is that their mouths graze past your bum hole and pick up your face <laughs> and pick up some of the poo bacteria and it sorts out their digestive microbiome no honestly no. that's the thing no that's the thing so your baby rims you on the way out <laughs> <laughs> yeah but obviously poor Alfie never got the chance so uh. he might grow up with to have a bit of a, a weak constitution so sorry if he does but now here he is full name Alfie Frank Hardy what a little angel um it's been such an experience. I still can't quite believe he's real. And I do think someone's going to knock on the door and ask for him back. I kind of feel like I'm pretending to be his mum. He's inherited your face, though. Thank goodness. No offence. <laughs> <laughs> I think he looks quite a lot like me. But then Ben thinks he looks quite a lot like him. And he doesn't. What is amazing... <laughs> what is amazing is that they change so much... And everyone says, savour all of the moments because they grow up so quickly. And already, I mean, he's only 10, well, nearly 10 weeks, but already I can see such a marked difference between when he was this tiny little sort of alien baby that was just teeny tiny to now, I mean, he's ginormous and he's really heavy. And he's this robust little boy with a face that's really expressive and... Oh, he cried his first tears the other day. Oh my God, what did you do? I, I know, it was awful. So babies are born without tear ducts. So even though they cry, they don't cry tears. And when their tear ducts develop, they cry tears. And it's heartbreaking. Little tears rolling down his cheeks. Ooh. I don't know why he was crying. Babies just cry, don't they? Well, he was probably crying because he was pissed off that he's been inside the flat for 10 weeks of his life and hasn't seen anybody 
apart from me and Ben. Very briefly, you, before lockdown happened. No, Alfredo. That was about it. I think he's going to be in his 20s before he can see anybody. Anyway, there's so much to say. I can't say it all in one little snippet of podcast. You're allowed to talk about it again in the future. I will talk about it a lot. But I'm going to sum it up as being completely overwhelming, completely wonderful, really fucking hard, very emotional, lovely. He has pissed in your mouth. Oh my God, he's pissed in my mouth. He's been sick in my mouth. He's burped in my mouth. How did he manage to be sick in your mouth? Because the pissing, obviously, he can aim. Mm. But the sicking... My fault. I got too close to him. When babies are sick, they don't... There's no run up. They just... Bleh. So it could come at any minute. So I was, I was going in for the kiss. And my mouth was a little bit open. And it went in. And I mean, it's just my breast milk. So, you know, what goes around comes around. Fine. I'm covered in poo most of the time. I've actually had to change my outfit. I put on some clean PJs for you. Oh, thank you so much. To my knowledge, these have not got feces or piss or vom on them. To my knowledge, neither of mine. <laughs> I'm wearing a black tracksuit, which is not very chic, is it? But I did brush my hair this morning. Well, I thought your hair looked so nice. Mm. Slightly more brunette. Slightly more brunette. It's growing out. It's the way I'm heading anyway. Who knows what I'll look like when we emerge. <laughs> Who knows? So tell me about you. What have you been up to? Well, I have been alone in my house a lot. So that's not that exciting. I have been writing a lot about what it has been like in the last year to be single. I'm thinking a lot about this because I'm alone in my house again. And normally at this time of year, after Christmas, I would be thinking, right, okay, I need to get on the dating thing. That's quite a new year thing for me because... You don't really want to be going on first dates around Christmas because it's festive and you're socialising. And Also, there's a lot of pressure with dating around Christmas as well, isn't there? Because yeah. it's kind of pegged as like the most romantic time of the year. So then a date isn't a date. It becomes this whole more pressurised thing that you just think, ugh, I can't be asked with that. I don't think it's a nice time to date. I like dating in the summer, specifically. Mm. Carefree. That's the only time I actually like dating. But... Normally at this time of year, I'd be starting to worry about it, especially because it's my birthday in a couple of weeks. And so always when I'm approaching my birthday, I start to think about how old my eggs are. Here we are together getting older. And obviously in the last year, you have had Alfie and my friend Sophie has had Elio. And that's a big life shift for both of you, but also for me, because when your closest friends are having babies, you feel suddenly out of step that you're not Mm. but I deleted all the apps at the beginning of lockdown too and I haven't re-downloaded them and obviously I'm not going to meet anyone in person because I'm leaving the house approximately once a week and I feel oddly fine about that because I think what was really stressful about last year and dating in a pandemic is that basically you lost all your secondary relationships and there weren't secondary relationships to me they were my primary relationships but Because the only people you could see and the only people you could hug, the only people you could touch were people you lived with. So either your immediate family or your partner. It basically made all other relationships secondary. And it it told us that those weren't important relationships. So I went from having all of these really fulfilling, satisfying friendships. Obviously I have my family as well. Just lots of people that I love and a busy social life 
to being completely isolated and completely alone. And I think what I found so odd about it now looking back at it, because I've had that sort of New Year headspace thing, is that despite feeling lonely, and I definitely did feel lonely last year, I also feel torn because I am not quite sure that I want a relationship yet. And I've been saying that I do, and I do, if I met someone great. But I'm also really enjoying how selfish I can be with my time and how much I can give to my career, which I'm really enjoying at the moment. And I love so much of my life. And I know that a good relationship only adds to that. But you can't be as selfish. And you should want to share your time, but you have to share your time. And I wouldn't be able to think, okay, I'm just going to get up at seven and write for four hours without speaking and there's nothing to distract me, and then I can do this and that, and I can call that person. Mm -hmm. You have to think about somebody else. You have to be more present with somebody else. And I hadn't realised, I think, how important it was to me that when I shut my front door, I could be by myself, and I could have this time to myself. And it's been stressful because this pandemic meant that that was all I had, and it took everything else away. So it basically meant that you either had to be completely alone or in a committed relationship, an established relationship, as Boris would call it, so that you're allowed to sleep with that person. And I don't want one of those two things. I don't want to be completely alone and not see anyone and not have a hug. But I also don't necessarily know that I want someone to be here in my space all the time. Mm. So that's where I am right now. But my eggs and I are about to turn 33. Which, if you listen to mainstream media... Means you've only got two years left, babe. We're a little long in the tooth. Oh, God. I hate that. I think this year has been awful for all single people and so isolating. And I imagine a lot of people are feeling the way that I am feeling and experiencing that loneliness. But I think for anyone with that deadline, I do know that I want to have children. I don't know if that will happen for me or not, but I want that. Mm. So it's losing a year. And would I have necessarily been particularly proactive about dating in this year? Would I be any further forward? I don't know. But when you have to think about it in those terms, that feels very stressful. And now they've vaccinated 2.4 million people or something, which is less than 4% of the population. We might not be getting out until August, September. When am I going to be able to date and not have it be a weird fraught stressful experience with loads of pressure on it because you're putting yourself at risk just by going on a date so it then has to be good well yeah and you kind of want it to work out so that the risk has paid off exactly the nice thing about dating is when there's a casual element to it don't necessarily mean shagging around i just mean that there's not so much pressure put on it because it's quite a stressful process anyway so that sort of carefree dating, how long is that going to take to come back again? I really hope not long. That's the best bit. The very best bit is meeting people organically, which doesn't happen all that often. But in the summer, in a pub, when you see someone who you think is cute and make eye contact, that is the best bit. Yeah. And I don't know when the fuck that will happen again. I miss pubs. I miss perving on hot strangers <laughs> in pubs and restaurants and in the street. I miss thinking people at work are cute. 
working from home at the moment. I mean, I never think that many people at work are cute, but you can really turn someone into someone you think is cute in your mind if you work in an office long enough and you will it into being, can't you? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the handyman at university? Joe the handyman? Sure do. We went to art school and we did a fashion course and there were three blokes on our course. And, I mean, can't have been more than ten in the entire year. There were a few straight men in the fine art degree, but they were all about five foot four. Very small. Not to be heightist, but why is that? (laughs) So Joe was straight, tall, very capable with a screwdriver. Borderline attractive. Wore a vest, had some tattoos. Yeah, but because he was sort of the only option, became pretty much the Brad Pitt of St. Martin's. My God. Oh, Joe. Swoons. I loved your column that came out last weekend. By the way, hello, we're recording this on, what day is it? Wednesday. Where you spoke about being single and being alone in lockdown, but also your thoughts on your new year headspace, your new year attitude, not making resolutions, but kind of making resolutions, being nicer to yourself. I definitely need to be nicer to myself. I agree. But the the problem is, not that you should rely on other people to make you feel good about yourself, because that's not a good headspace to be in, and we should all get to that point with ourselves. But I think you do a bit, don't you? Because we're all self-deprecating to an extent we all think we're rubbish at things we all sometimes need a pep talk and when there is nobody else there you're not getting a pep talk if you're not going to work and around colleagues and can just say out loud oh god everything's coming out wrong today then I just sit at my laptop and I think I'm a terrible writer I'll never write anything funny again I've lost it I'm losing my marbles because I'm just in this vacuum of ideas and nothing is stimulating anything. When you go into a rabbit hole of negative thought, there's no one to pull you out of it, right? Exactly. There's no one to just say, oh God, me too. Or let's have a cup of tea. And then you just feel better. Mm. I'm just here alone with my thoughts. And if I don't ring anyone, I'm here alone with my thoughts for a long time. And I don't think I'd realised how much I was reliant on other people to tell me I was good at things or be nice to me but without it I'm not very nice to me and that's not a great place to be in because I just wake up look in the mirror tell myself I need to lose weight tell myself I need to whiten my teeth tell myself this that and the other go on a zoom call look at my irregular eye placement (laughs) you don't have a regular eye placement (laughs) look at my gummy smile write something tell myself it's not funny I can hear myself now like shut the fuck up it's boring but I think so many people do it and we're just not nice to ourselves yeah I think what you've just said so many people will be relating to it's too much time spent with yourself is the problem we are tend to be our own worst enemies tell you what would take your mind off it having a baby having a baby yeah doesn't give you much time to think about yourself. I'm not sure it would be a good decision for me right now. Also, logistically, how would I go about it? You know, I've not even had a snog in months. Months, I tell you. Let alone a shag. Goodness. But is this even my longest drought? I don't know. I mean, it's been over a year, but is that even my longest drought? I couldn't tell you, but probably not. <sighs> Speaking of sex, 
Sex in the City reboot. Wanted to talk about it. Oh, obviously. It's the only thing my Instagram feed wants to talk about. Well, because we all want a distraction. Of course we do. But also, oh my God, what will it be? <laughs> so many questions. So it's called And Just Like That. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. How do we feel about this? Because Sex in the City, A, problematic when you watch it back. It's not aged that well. Well, it hasn't, but what has? I know, but it's particularly not aged that well, no? No, but we had this whole discussion when friends came onto Netflix. Everyone was up in arms because it's completely white. The relationships are heteronormative. There's stereotypes being flung around left, right and centre. Yes, it's very problematic and it definitely needs updating. Probably one of the most problematic parts of it was Sex and the City, the movie too, which was (laughs) terrible. And that didn't come out that long ago, did it? It started as if it was sponsored by a tourism board. And you thought, has this been paid for, you know, to get people to visit? And then it ended quite racist and bigoted. It was remarkable how that got through the cutting room. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. But main issue, without Samantha, is it just the city? Without Samantha... Is it going to be any good? Which seems to be the main consensus out there. Most people saying no. I don't think it is going to be. No. Well, Charlotte was always quite judgy, wasn't she? Judgy of all things. Judgy of Samantha having only fun sex. Judgy of vibrators. Judgy of divorce. Judgy of all sorts of things. Miranda, just very tired. Quite relatable, actually. She was just always too tired. (laughs) (laughs) She's absolutely knackered. She's busy. She's a career woman. She didn't have time for it. But there wasn't much in her relationship that I was like, oh, that's a really appealing relationship. No, because it's with Steve. Yeah, Steve. Oh, wet flannel. He didn't seem to have much get up and go, did he? And then because they were tired and busy, they didn't have that much sex, which is quite normal. But Steve had an affair. But then they overcame it. Fine. Okay. And then there's Carrie, who's just a raging narcissist. Raging narcissist. Well, and she eats Vogue for dinner and whatever. But it's why she was such an appealing character when we were younger, because you're all raging narcissists. And then as you start to get older, you're like, God, I'm not the lead character in anything. And you can't treat people like that. The way she treats people. Do you see that meme I shared of someone who's recreated the characters using a cat as Kim Cattrall? Yeah. But using audio from an actual scene where she sees an engagement ring that Aiden's got her and they're kicking off because they don't like the, the pear-shaped diamond. What the heck? Who are these people? You wouldn't want to have brunch with these people. So I missed it when it first came out. First series was in 1998. I had to Google that. So what were we? 10, 11. So I... Having much sex in the city then? <laughs> that absolutely... <laughs> Absolutely none, unsurprisingly. So then I watched it in my mid-twenties and thought it was just the most amazing thing ever. So that must have been, what, 10 years after it had come out. It felt really glossy. It felt really sassy. It felt witty. It felt very aspirational. Even though I was watching it 10 years after it came out, it still felt quite liberated in the sense that women were talking about sex openly, they were laughing about it, they were enjoying it. 
it wasn't something shameful. It was this amazing freeing thing that was a sort of part and parcel of this glamorous New York city life. But I guess Samantha was the main driving force of that liberation because she was the only character that was truly liberated. I mean, whenever I think of Samantha, I think of that episode. That scene where she's giving the USP delivery man a blowjob in her office. Well, also, she was the only one whose end goal wasn't marriage. Yeah, marriage and kids, exactly. And that's what feels so old-fashioned, I think, that it's so much about chasing that relationship and marrying well. That's problematic, you know, Charlotte's character, but the whole kind of marrying money and what kind of lifestyle will you have and how big is the ring that all now at the time I mean I watched it in my teens but now I just can't imagine a show like that being made and certainly this reboot won't be targeted at Gen Zers, I imagine because it's following the same characters and they're now in their late 40s 50s mm. Kim Cattrall's probably in her 60s I think she was a little bit older so these characters are going to have maybe grown-up children. I don't know how old Charlotte's children will be and Brady. Um, maybe they'll have gone through divorce, menopause, etc. But even thinking about a Gen Zer trying to watch this, even the film, the first Sex and the City film, the films were just shocking. So really you shouldn't put them in together with the series, which was different. But the first film... And Miranda hasn't done her pubic hair on holiday. Yeah. Do you remember? Yes. And I advocate a bush. As you know, I advocate a bush. They all shame her on this holiday. And then there's kind of a, no wonder you and Steve never have sex because you're not making an effort and grooming yourself. And that wasn't that long ago. They're not woke. <laughs> no, they're not. I think it must be targeted at people like us who watched it loved it back in the day and want some nostalgia there's a piece that zoe williams wrote in the guardian where she calls it comfort tv and that's exactly i think what it will be whether it will be good or not is another story olivia petter wrote a piece in the independent where she speaks about the opportunity that this limited series has. She says, it's no secret that there's a dearth of on-screen stories about sexually empowered women above the age of 40. And this would be a brilliant opportunity to rectify that. But surely a better tactic would be to enlist a new group of characters rather than relying on those who are best known and loved for who they were 20 years ago. Which I think I kind of agree with. I don't think this series is going to be the honest portrayal of what your sex life looks like when you're in your 40s and 50s. I just can't imagine it. I can't imagine Carrie being honest about the menopause or... Anything. But also, their lives aren't very relatable. And I think even though they were wealthy and they were beautiful and they were in New York City, when you were younger, you could kind of relate to lots of the things. And you could relate to them changing jobs or hitting their bosses or dodgy relationships, or breakups, or suspect sexual encounters. But now, are they just going to be 
wealthy middle-aged white women who are ladies at lunch a little bit they're just like wasps basically carrie obviously makes millions of pounds as a columnist which is very much in line with with journalism realities as you and i know down the bloody river candace bushnell i've read so many pieces on the sex and city reboot but there's a paragraph from a piece that monica heisey's written for vogue and i just thought it was really good Sex in the City was about having sex without feeling bad about it, spending your rent money on clothing you couldn't afford, blagging your way into an exclusive party to flirt with a gross famous guy, then ditching him to eat McDonald's with your real soulmates, your friends. Who embodies this more than the overdressed PR executive giving out vibrator advice in an Upper East Side sharper image? When I revisit the show for the 400th time, it's not to watch an insecure woman fail to date a man in a pork pie hat. It is because I want to see someone actively doing kegels at the bar, saying something like, nipples are huge now, open any magazine. I do think there should be a Samantha Jones spin-off. I'm here for that one. Can we just have Samantha? Anyway, apart from having a baby vomit in your mouth, what have you been up to, Franny? <laughs> apart from Have what? you got any recommendations for having a baby vomit in your mouth? Oh, vomit in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Have you got any recommendations apart from keep your mouth closed <laughs> when approaching small baby? <laughs> oh god. Yeah, I do. I've got some recommendations. They're mainly TV based because I'm too tired to read a full book. You don't need to apologize. <laughs> but my first one, actually talking about the portrayal of love uh an older age i never know how to say that an older age it makes it sound like people are really old i just mean not in their 20s you know yeah. like 30 onwards okay you just mean not first flush love not first flush love hot flush love hot flush, exactly <laughs> hot flush love there we go so this is on netflix is a film called hope gap i think it's been made specifically for netflix it's got Bill Nighy in, who I just think is wonderful, and I will watch anything that he's in. It's also got Josh O'Connor in, right? Who I think's a dish. Exactly. I also think Bill Nighy's a dish. I don't discriminate. No, no, They're no. Both so, yes. So Josh plays Charles in the latest series of The Crown. He's really hunky. He wears a lot of Loewe jumpers. I wrote about him in my Men's Style Awards for the Times and thought, that man has great taste in jumpers. He does. Anyway. And Annette Benning is in it oh she's a dish too she's a dish it is about a couple who have been married for 29 years and he leaves her so it's sad i <laughs> i put this i put this recommendation on instagram and i had loads of people coming back to me saying i can't possibly watch this it sounds too sad it is sad but it is so brilliantly beautifully done it could almost be a play it's very much this sort of three-hander it's just the relationship between these three people the mother and the father also the wife and husband and then the son and what happens when the husband says he wants to leave and how the whole family deal with it Annette Bedding is just phenomenal in it it feels really real it feels very truthful what is so brilliant about it is that it shows no matter how long a relationship has been and how old you are heartbreak is so devastating and poignant I don't know I guess I've always thought if you've been married for a long time and 
And then it breaks down, is it easier because so much time has passed and maybe things don't feel so raw? But no, of course it doesn't. It's a love is love and betrayal is betrayal. And it is just so good. It's so deep with emotion and beautifully done. I just loved it. I think when you're younger, again, it is that narcissism of thinking that you're feeling things more deeply. And when you're younger, you think young love is so vibrant and vivid. And you kind of think of older people, or certainly I did, as being a bit more dried up and reserved. And you kind of think, well, they probably don't feel things as deeply. This is when you're a teenager and you're crying alone in your room listening to sad music. <laughs> Looking into a mirror so that you can see yourself cry. Writing sad, sad poems. Yeah. Exactly. Take pictures of yourself with <laughs> mascara tears running yeah. down your face and thinking no one's ever felt anything as deeply as I have. And then as you become older, you're like, oh shit, no. <laughs> yeah, they're exactly the same feelings. <laughs> I'm not a husk. <laughs> exactly. There's still life beneath here. I just thought it was wonderful. <laughs> it's set in England. It's shot in an English seaside town, which is very beautiful. There's lots of white cliffs and blue seas and walks across hillocks, grassy hillocks, Ugh. which I also quite enjoyed. Love a hillock. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I would thoroughly recommend that. You just did. Thank you. Also, The Serpent on BBC. Is it good? I've been enjoying the 70s fashions. Yeah, the 70s fashions are great. Jenna Coleman looks banging in her big tinted sunglasses and sexy 70s separates. But it is intriguing and thrilling. So if anyone doesn't know, it is based on the real story of a man called Charles Sabrage, who was a con man, a jewel thief and serial killer. He killed numerous young people who were on the hippie trail in the 1970s in Thailand. Nasty piece of work and quite a remarkable story where he gets imprisoned, he escapes, he gets tried, he manages to sort of dodge the law in certain ways. And the man who is seeking justice, works for the Dutch Embassy. He's called Herman. Can't remember his last name, but I can remember his first name. You only need Herman. That's memorable enough. <laughs> That's a mononym if I've ever heard one. If I was called Herman, I would just go by Herman. Just go with Herman. You sort of see how it consumes his life because the case, it went on for just such a long time. But justice is served eventually, sort of, at the end. It's brilliant. You watch it and then you need to Google everything about the cases and him and who he killed and Marie who Jenna Coleman plays is his sort of naive sidekick it's great can I watch it living alone in my house yes because do you not... remember how I couldn't watch Luther because that oh yeah the top deck yeah. of that bus I'd watched previous Luthers when I lived with someone and then that new series came out and I thought Luther great and I started watching it and no. then I thought I live alone and I'll never sleep again absolutely don't watch Luther when you live alone. To be honest, even when you live with someone, Luther's fucking terrifying. But I can watch this living alone. You can, yeah, it's not creepy and it's not gory. It's just completely fascinating how it all unfolded. And you kind of get into the psyche of what it is to be a psychopath. 
Right. Just some light evening viewing, Charles. <laughs> Just transport yourself out of your house and into the mind of a psychopath. Just what everybody everybody wants right now. But do you know what everyone does want right now? What do they want? Pooch perfect. No, no, no. Yes. No. 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 Don't. What Sheridan Smith up to? Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, it's a competitive dog grooming <laughs> series. It's kind of like the Great British Bake Off, but dog grooming. <laughs> With less ovens, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Sheridan Smith is the host and sort of has a weird double act going on with her dog, which is unusual. Co-host. I will grant you, yes. <laughs> that bit's unusual. But the actual show is fantastic. Okay. Have you watched an episode? No, I clicked onto it by accident and saw Sheridan Smith and the whole thing was a lot and the groomer was very glam and they were introducing everyone like it was a makeover show and the vet was sort of introduced like he was a Love Island contestant <laughs> and I just thought this isn't for me just try it okay what would you like to recommend Chaz well first of all I'd like to give you some more details on my wine which I didn't read the label properly I thought it said just van der table as in table wine mm. actually says van der table de ping pong van der table de ping pong oh ping pong table What's that? It is the reason it was more expensive than table wine. Uh, it's Carignan. It's fucking delicious. Get it on Shop Cuvée. That's my first recommendation. Just buy loads of alcohol. I have been doing that. <laughs> I bought some limoncello on Shop Cuvée. Oh, niche. Um, they deliver. You can do a postal delivery anywhere in the UK. But I am within bicycle courier distance. Hello. Hi, thank you. So, all sorts. You know I love a limoncello. Yeah, you do. On holiday, love a limoncello. I'm not on holiday, I'm in my flat. But how can I make my flat feel like holiday? Limoncello. So, all sorts of fun wines that I hadn't heard of or tried before. Because then it's like going to a restaurant and getting something different. Have you got Nigella's cookbook, Cook, Eat, Repeat? No, I haven't. Oh my God. Oh my God. You need to. I love Nigella anyway, so I was I was primed and ready to love this cookbook. But I got it for my birthday. Do you need a cookbook to tell you Nigella things? Because I enjoy listening to her therapy, therapy voice, but... The book is kind of half cookbook, half book book. Prose. <laughs> right. So it's it's just a nice reading book as well. So you get the syrupy voice coming at you through her wonderful words... But then you get a yummy recipe at the end. Okay, how are the recipes? Oh my God, they're so nice. I mean, they're Nigella, so they're easy. I think she's my chef. You know, everyone identifies with a chef. I identify with her because she's a bit slapdash. And like, you know, if you don't have paprika, she'd just be like, put some chilli flakes in. Give a shit, which I like. She would have paprika though because she has everything. We've seen that pantry. Yeah, she has her pantry. She even has chilli lights in her chilli section. She would never not be without seasoning, but I feel like she wouldn't mind if I was without seasoning. But she will just smush up a fish finger into some onions. Yes, and have you had that? Her fish finger border. It is delicious. It did make me buy fish fingers though. And her chicken in a pot with lemon and orzo. Delicious. Crab 
mac and cheese. Delicious. Can be made with Emmental because I can't get Gruyere. Emmental. <laughs> Emmental. Well, how do you say it? Emmental. 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 Tall? Tal. Emmental. Emmental. I let you wait. Can be made with that because I can't get Gruyere in my Sainsbury shop, arguably because of Brexit. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I also, no word of a lie, cannot get mozzarella. Cannot get mozzarella. I'm so sorry. <gasps> I'm interested that Nigella's your chef. I think mine might be Rachel Roddy. Right. Who writes for The Guardian. And I follow her on Instagram at Rachel Alice Roddy. She lives in Rome. Chic. Which is a clue to how delicious her food is going to be. And her Instagram is just delicious things that are often quite simple. Like cherries cooked in a bit of red wine with a bay leaf and some sugar, then allowed to sit for a while. And then you have them over some mascarpone or some ricotta or some yogurt. One of those white dairy items that's in your fridge. Fucking delicious. And takes literally five minutes. And that is the joy of a lot of her food is that it takes literally five minutes. But also... I just enjoy this insight into someone's life. I can't find the post now, but I was looking at her Instagram the other day and she put up something about meatballs that she went to a different butcher and then she got them to cube her beef and then <laughs> mince it. And then apparently this is a normal thing in Italy. Then add the inside of two sausages before mincing it a second time to make meatballs apparently this is just really normal and what people do initially twice minced meatballs and then she said they were the best meatballs she'd ever made and now i'm absolutely desperado to go to the butcher obviously you couldn't really go in covid time and be like could you cube my beef <laughs> then mince it then add the inside of two sausages <laughs> mince it again then mince it again yeah, i think they tell you where to go basically it's <laughs> a very <laughs> escapist aspirational sort of life but things that i can actually just look at and make because I hate, with a lot of recipes, it's too much faff or you don't have all the ingredients. Yeah. And you kind of think, yeah, maybe I'll make that. But she'll just say something like that. I can I can potentially achieve that in a butcher next time I go. Or I could just buy some mints and some sausages. Yeah, and do it yourself. Make your own meatballs. I could do it myself. You know? Yeah. I don't think I've ever made meatballs before. But what the fuck else am I doing? So I'm going to do it now. <laughs> Also, I do have a real recommendation, which is Daisy Buchanan's book, Insatiable. Oh, I can't wait to read this. I've got my hands on an early copy. <gasps> can I have it after you, please? No. Oh. Yes, you can. But it's actually a Kindle copy. So oh, yeah. I don't know how useful that is to you. I don't have the hard copy because they were like hotcakes. She just couldn't get enough of them to satisfy demand. The insatiable demand. Hey. insatiable demand probably because it's a saucy romp just what we all need there's lots of sauce in it there's also a young woman who's not sure what she's doing with her life relatable it's brilliant daisy is a brilliant writer and it's just what i wanted to read right now i don't want to read anything stressful no but this is gripping and it's sexy i just think everything needs to have a lot of sex in it at the moment because i'm not having any is anyone having any? Are you having any? Real question. I've just had a baby. Of course I'm not having any. No, I, I know. But I feel like that's important to discuss. 
because, you know, people need to feel okay about that if they're not having sex. Is anyone having sex? If you've been living with your partner for 10 months and neither of you can leave the room, do you really want to have sex with them anymore? (laughs) I don't know. I don't even want to have sex with myself anymore, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Which is why, obviously last year we had normal people and those sex scenes. Bridgerton, there's a whole episode of just sex scenes. It's episode six if you just want to skip straight ahead to watch that. Is that the one where they're on the stone staircase, which looks really uncomfortable? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they're they're everywhere. I enjoy the picnic one where they're just sort of lying oh, by yes. a lake on but the But she's fully clothed and, like, and he's naked. The camera flips and he's just got his arse Yeah, I, f- I feel like Shonda Rhimes really honed in on what people wanted and it is the sight of his bare bottom. Yeah, just thank you for understanding that I do not want... Actually, it's when it started and the first time they have sex and then it sort of pans away and you go behind like a bed screen or something and you think they're doing that camera effect where they just sort of it all gets blurry and then you're just left to imagine what happens and then you go straight back in to some I don't know arse or something (laughs) and actually Shonda was just fucking with us because you are in for a lot of sex see bits yeah a lot of bits well, I have to go because it's 10 to 8 and I told Ben I'd be done by 7 and he's probably, I don't know, what he's doing. He's breastfeeding. <laughs> he's probably breastfeeding, yeah. <laughs> it's suspiciously quiet upstairs, so I hope everyone's still okay. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. We will now be back fortnightly, not weekly, while we just get to grips with Frankie having a baby and me having a full-time job and trying to get our schedules to mesh together so on alternate sundays you can listen to the wing woman podcast and on the sundays in between you can read the wing woman newsletter which will also be fortnightly for the foreseeable does that make sense i think it does basically every sunday there's something wing woman there's some action it's either audio or visual but it's been lovely to be back Mm. if you like what you hear of course please do feel free to rate review subscribe and tell your pals sign up to the newsletter at thewingwoman.co.uk and find us on social media at frankie graddon at charlie gowans and collectively at thewingwoman underscore you can also email us using the email address thewingwomanofficial at gmail.com i like how we've put official in it to make it sound like it's not a gmail.com lovely but it is it's a gmail (laughs) but it's an official gmail that we just put a fish in the name. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's proper. Man, so we are professional. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we will speak to you in a couple of weeks. Until then. Bye. Bye. Bye.